Amen. You may be seated this morning, and if you have your Bible, let me invite you to open it up to Luke chapter 10. We are glad that you're with us today on this Memorial Day weekend, and as we mentioned before, uh, truly is a time for us to remember those who have given uh, their lives and made that ultimate sacrifice so we can enjoy the freedoms that we have in this great nation, and so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we're experiencing this morning to be able to gather together, uh, to open up the Word of God in an open place, and to preach and teach from it as we see that God has revealed himself to us in light of the truth of the scriptures this morning. Uh, on Memorial Day Sunday, I always like to think that this is the day where I figure out a couple of things about our congregation. Uh, the first is I find out which of us are the true disciples. I mean, those that even when uh, everybody else is out doing other activities, you're willing to be here on a Sunday morning and learn from the word of God. And I also find out which of you don't have a boat. And so it just kind of helps me to know uh, which camp that we're in this morning. And so I'm just glad that you fit into one of those two categories, and we do hope and pray that those that aren't with us today uh, will be back safely with us next week if they're gone on a trip or something of that nature. It's good for me to be back in the pulpit. Last week, Tyler uh, was so gracious to fill in for me after I had a, a minor gallbladder surgery, and it's really amazing how something that small in your body can cause such great problem. And I think there's probably a spiritual lesson or principle there uh, to put into effect, but last week, uh, he was so gracious to stand in for me and, and preach from the Word of God, and I appreciate him, his ministry to our church, his faithfulness to the Lord, and just to know that in times uh, when I can't be here, I have very, very many staff members who are capable of standing in and doing a great job, and for that as a church, uh, we're very grateful this morning, as I was kind of milling around the congregation and visiting a little bit, uh, several things for us to celebrate. We have a young lady in our church who's celebrating her 89th birthday today. And so think about that. And then we also had a young couple who are celebrating 67 years of marriage this morning. So uh, you think about that today, right? Lessons of faithfulness, of longevity, uh, of just... Uh, being willing to work through the, the good times and the difficult times. I didn't ask her how many of those 67 years were good. I just kind of left it alone. Uh, because if you can make it through 67, I tell you what, man, praise God for that. That they both have not only the health physically to make it through that long, but then that God's just blessed them with a marriage for that many years. And so all of that being said, today's a good day, a good morning. And we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 10. Now, if our calculations are correct, uh, this is our 46th week in the book of Luke together. And I told you when we began this series that there was a real chance that uh, we didn't have like a time frame how long it was going to take us, that a woman would probably conceive and give birth by the time we were done with the gospel of Luke. And let me tell you this, that's happened since, since we started. It, it, it truly has happened. And so now what I'm here to tell you today is there is a real chance that that little girl or boy will have a brother or sister by the time <laughs> we're done with the Gospel of Luke, because we are committed to making our way through this study, to be faithful, uh, to, to walk through the Scriptures in their entirety. And let me tell you why that's important. Uh, we live in a world today where we love clips, we love sound bites, we love little glimpses, uh, and, and that rarely tells the whole story, Right. We live in a day and time where our attention span is so small that rarely do we ever read and try to understand things, but we easily fall victim to clickbait and we believe things that aren't even true because somebody said so. 
And one of the things that we need to be doing with the Word of God is not to treat it as cliche or just to treat it as a, a, a soundbite or just a little clip. And to be honest with you, I've met many believers that that's their level of theology, that their level of understanding of the Scriptures and God is just little clips that they've heard along the way. And let me tell you, it's hard to build a theology when all you're doing is just picking up bits and pieces here. We want to be faithful to understand the Word of God its entirety. We want to be faithful to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to understand the things that we like and the things that we don't like. To understand the things that, that sit well with us. I call those coffee cup verses, right? That, that we have those verses that we want to cling to and it's not that they're wrong. It's not that there's something that, that, that's wrong about them, but the type of verse that we put on a coffee cup. But, but theology is more than that. Why? Because there's some verses in the Bible that are just as true, just as real, that we don't want to put on a coffee cup. Why? Because they speak of hardship, they speak of difficulty, they speak of suffering, and all of this is the reality of the life that we live. And so my heart as your pastor is to make sure that we are a group of people who when we are facing the trials and difficulty of life, have a healthy theology that we can cling to that will sustain us through those difficult times. That will cause us to, to push into the Word of God and to hold on fast and tight rather than just a very cliche-oriented theology. And if we're going to produce believers that aren't stable and solid in their faith, who aren't growing and maturing, I don't want it to be my fault from not standing here from the Word of God and preaching and teaching the Word of God in its context and its entirety and being faithful to do that. And so we're going to work through books like Luke that are long and sometimes seemingly repetitious as we seem to hit some very similar stories over and over again because we believe that God inspired Luke to write down a narrative of truth for us that's going to help us understand who Jesus is, what Jesus has called you and I to be, what Jesus has done for us through His life, His death, and His resurrection. And the more that we can grasp of that, the deeper that we're going to be rooted in truth the, the more we're going to know God in a close and intimate way, and the more we're going to be able to sustain and, and walk through the difficult times that life will bring us. And so with that being said, we're going to start Luke chapter 10. Now just to remind you as we work through Luke chapter 9, is there was a lot of reference to the disciples. There was a lot of reference to Jesus sending them out. There's this high moments where they realized that Jesus, you are indeed the Messiah. And in His name, they had power to do things that they never thought they were capable of. There were low moments. There were moments when they got off the, off the rails a little bit and they would fight about which of them was the greatest. And there were moments where they experienced weakness as they tried to cast out a demon, but for, for some reason now not able to do it. And as we watch their journey, I think that you and I would look and say, hey, we identify with that, right? We identify with moments where we feel close to the Lord, that we feel like we have this, this spiritual power that's at work inside of us, and we're able to do things that we never thought we were able to do. And then there are moments where we just seemingly stumble and fall and make a mess of it. But here's the good news for us, is that the same grace that called us is the same grace that sustains us and will continue to sustain us. And so we cling to that reality that God is at work, that God's grace is sufficient for us in any and everything that we go to. Now, if we're not careful, sometimes we can look at these 12 disciples, even though the Bible makes it very clear that they were ordinary men and were just common people like you and I, and think, you know what? Well, these stories that we hear in the Bible, I mean, these guys wound up being the apostles. 
I mean, these guys were, were close to Jesus. And so we think to ourselves, like, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to, to live up to that. Well, look what happens here in chapter 10. Just as Jesus sent out the nine, he's going to send out the 72. And what this is going to tell us is that that ministry is not just for some elite group of people, but as we're going to see unfold in the Bible, that as Jesus has done, he looks at all of his disciples and says, now go preach, teach, proclaim my gospel to all nations. He looks and tells and acts, we get this picture that you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the end of the age. And so one of the things that I want us to understand today is that ministry is not just something that's relegated to a few elite in the church or in the world, but ministry is something that every one of us have been called to. And as we look at this passage here, as Jesus sends out the 72 and the things that he tells them and the events that unfold around him, I really think that you and I can look and say, hey, this is kind of like a ministry 101 class for us. Like this is a basics of ministry for every one of us to understand uh, what we're called to, but also how we're going to do it. Now, as I use the word minister today, we, we've kind of hijacked that word uh, in our church vocabulary in a, in a, in a not, not so great way. Because if I tend to say minister, what do you tend to think of? Well, you know, a minister. Ordained clergy. Someone that our church pays to do ministry. And the problem with that is the Bible doesn't really use it that way. The whole idea of ministry is something that every believer, every disciple of Jesus, every follower is called to. Matter of fact, the Bible would tell us in Ephesians chapter 4 that it's the role of the, the evangelist, the apostles, the, the shepherd teacher, the pastor, the overseer to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And one of the things that we want to do here in the life of our church is making sure that we're doing an adequate job to help all of us understand that in a very real way, we've been called to ministry. And that doesn't mean that we've been called to some kind of professional, vocational ministry. For some of us, it might. And I pray that God would use this church to raise up a, a generation and group of people who will be future missionaries, who will be future pastors, who will be future leaders in the life of, of the church. But today, when we use the word minister, don't just hear the old timey, well, you're talking about you type of thinking, but hear all of us being included in this idea that we're called to be ministers of the gospel. Now, one of the things that we want to try to do as a church is we've got core values that kind of help help guide us and keep us on the rails a little bit. And they all start with E just to help us as a staff remember them a little bit better. But but two of them are this one. We want to be a church that equips. We want to be a church that is producing and making disciples. And so a very real part of what we want to be about as a congregation is that we're doing our diligence, not just to give you shallow uh, Christian cliche every week, but in everything that we do, that we see it as a tool to help equip you to be a deeper follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that happens in a variety of ways, and I'm not going to try to line them all out this morning, but that in everything that we do, there is an element of us equipping you, we're developing you, we're helping you grow in the faith, but we also want to empower you. What does that mean? It means that as leadership, we don't ever want to say, well, it's our job to do ministry, 
and we're going to minister to you, but that we're saying, no, we're going to equip the saints. And because God has called you, equipped you, empowered you to make a difference in the world, we want to be equipping you and empowering you and sending you out. And so this fall, you're going to hear a lot of talk and we're going to spend a lot of time as John, our new discipleship pastor, is going to help lead us systematically, little by little, to be a church who says we're all about ministering and empowering people to do the work of the ministry. You know, we've made some mistakes over the years as a congregation. And there's an example that I would give you is we, we built a fitness center with the idea of ministry. But just having the doors open and having people come in, that's not ministry, right? And then sometimes if we're not careful, you're like, well, you're right. We don't need to do that. We need to hire a minister to do ministry in there. No, that's not, not what we do, right? It's an opportunity for us as a people, as a church, to use that as a tool to be ministering to other people. And everywhere we go and in everything we do, guess what? There's opportunities by which we're sending out uh, hundreds and hundreds of ministers every week into our community that should understand I've been set apart by God to accomplish great things for Him. And we're going to see that in this passage this morning. So following His calling out disciples and following his making sure they understood what a disciple was and following a moment where he looks and says to people, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, not so fast. Make sure you understand the cost. He then does this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, first say peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter a town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of, our, of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. And so Jesus gathers. Now, now there's some discrepancy, whether it was 72 or 70, we have different manuscripts, and I don't think we need to get hung up on that number, because the bottom line is there is a group uh, of, of 70 to 72 people that Jesus is sending out basically on mission. And just as he sent those disciples out, the apostles out to heal in his name, and to proclaim the gospel in his name, he's given them the same parameters and basically telling them, go prepare the way for me. As I go from village to village, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God is near. Now, as we talked before, the healings and things that they would do were a sign of their authority, that they had truly been sent by God. And so he says, when you get there, don't be afraid to heal the sick. Why? My power's there and it's going to validate the message that I'm sending you with. But the whole point of what they were supposed to do was to be preparing the way for the Lord Jesus himself. 
Now, in a very real sense, this is simply the message and the mission that you and I have been called to do. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more as we move along. But God has sent you and I out with this message, proclaim the gospel, prepare the way for me. And so each and every Sunday as we leave, I think we need to remember this, that we're being sent out into this world. And one of the things that we do is gather on a Sunday and we worship God and we remind ourselves of the hope that we have in Him and we remind ourselves of the mission that He's called us to. And every week we're being sent out as these messengers, as these missionaries into the world to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ, that He might rest in the hearts of men as they repent of their sin and they place their faith and trust in him. And as we look at this, I want us just to see a, a very simple uh, message of really ministry 101 for you and me. And so if we're really thinking about, all right, you're telling me I need to be a minister. Well, what is it that I need to do and, and how do I need to go about it? And so the first thing that I think we need to see is this. Any ministry that you and I are a part of is ultimately the Lord's ministry. Now, this is important for several reasons. Number one, if you go out and think that you have the power to change anybody's life, a couple of things are going to happen. First of all, you're going to be disappointed. Because that power does not rest in you to change anybody else. And some of you have spent years upon years upon years and decade after decade trying to change somebody, maybe even the person that you're married to, to the point that you beat your head against the wall trying every tactic that you can use, some of them probably very manipulative, to no effect. Why? Because at the end of the day, you and I do not possess the ability to change what needs to change in a person. Only God can do that. But the other thing is, I think that sometimes we treat this mission that we've been called to in a very casual way, because the reality is, if we understand that this indeed is the Lord's ministry, that the sovereign king of all creation has chosen by his divine plan to use us and to send us out, it ought to enhance and raise the level by which we think of the ministry, meaning we should not be casual about it. You know, when someone of importance gives you a job to do, what does that mean? I need to do it and do it well. If the President of the United States said, hey, there's something I want you to do, what does that mean to you? Hey, there, there's a level of importance that goes with this. Why? Because who's giving the decree increases the importance by which we're called to do. And in this particular instance, we're seeing the King of Kings and Lord of Lords look at His people and say, I have something I want you to do. And so this ministry that we're performing is ultimately the Lord's ministry. Now, here's how I know this. Take a look at what he says here. After this, the Lord appointed, chose, selected 72 others. So, so who did the choosing? The Lord did. He sent them. Who's doing the sending? The Lord is. He told them the place where they're to go. He told them in verse 2, the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. So, so he's telling them, here's what you need to do. Here's who you need to pray to. Ultimately, me, right? So, so they're doing the Lord's work, and ultimately, they're praying to the Lord to be able to accomplish that work. And we can go on and on, but here's what we're seeing, that the Lord is giving them the parameters, the Lord is telling them the message. What does that mean? That all of this is the Lord's ministry. Now let me just tell you what that did. It gave huge importance to what we're about. 
The level of the calling just went up exponentially. Why? Because as I said, the God of all creation looked at you and said, I have something that I want you to do. Now you might say for a moment, well, wait a minute, this, this is just 72 people. How does that apply to me? Well, first of all, I think there's a big principle in the fact that these 72 were followers, just like uh, we, we see called out in, in, in chapter 9. And what's that representative of us? Those of us who have been called out to faith and truly are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think this is also an example of what we see in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1, where it's a very clear uh, prerogative of what we're to be doing, which is to go, bear witness, bear testimony, proclaim the gospel. This is a picture of what all of us as followers in Jesus Christ are called to do. And so as we look at this, I want us to be reminded like this is what we've been put on this planet for. It's the reason that we've been left after our conversion is to be a sent out people into the world, making sure that they hear of the coming message of the gospel that's available to them. Now, let me tell you why else it's important for us to realize that this ministry is God's ministry. Because now all of a sudden we're able to see how drill change is going to happen in the lives of people. God, you've sent me. God, it's your message. God, you're working. And now all of a sudden I'm not just beating my head against the wall. Why? Because now there is power in the work that we're doing. Now we need to be careful as ministers that we don't ever make the focus of our ministry us. And it's easy to do that, right? Especially if you've ever had any success in it. All of a sudden you start talking about the people you've saved. And you know you didn't ultimately save them, but all of a sudden now, I mean, you're kind of getting the hang of this whole ministry thing. And all of a sudden people seem to be responding and you're like, well, I'm, I'm getting pretty good at this ministry thing. Let you hear this very clearly. Any success you ever have in ministry will be due to the Lord's favor and the Lord's work. I don't care how gifted of a communicator you are. I don't care how good you are with people. I don't care what skills that you think you possess. Listen, all of that is something that's come from God's grace in your life. And any long-term effect that you're going to have in any form of ministry will always become because of God's favor and work through you. You're simply a vessel and a tool. But you're called to go and called to use those gifts and the abilities that God has given you. Ministry 101, always remember this. Ultimately, everything that we do is the Lord's ministry. And here's just a side note to that. Anything that's about us has to go. And it's a dangerous temptation for you and I to make ministry about us. Well, this is what we like to do. This is what we want. And God looks and says, oh, when did this become your ministry? And one of the reasons that I think churches become impotent over a period of time is because they lose sight of the ministry that God set before them. They lose sight of the power that exists when you have God's favor. And all of a sudden now, it just becomes about us, what we like and what we want to do. And we want to be the type of people who are sent out by God doing His work as He sets the parameters and He tells us what we're to be doing. Now, the second thing that I want us to see in this is that in order for us to be truly ministering the way that God wants us to, we need to have Christ's heart. Now, let me tell you where I see that in this passage. Go down to verse 2. Here's Jesus' exact words. 
The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Now, if you're saying, I feel like I've heard that somewhere else before, the reason is because the Bible records it in other places. Matthew 9 tells us that Jesus said it to his immediate disciples who were with him. And so we see that this is a teaching point that Jesus used regularly. Now, what's interesting about the Matthew chapter 9 passage is it comes upon Jesus looking at the multitudes, the crowds that have gathered around them, and he's moved with compassion for them. Matter of fact, Matthew records the word uh, of compassion that Jesus had as one of the strongest words that he had in his vocabulary that literally referred to a moving of the bowels. It means that you have such sympathy or empathy for someone, it causes a physical reaction, right? Now, I think we've experienced that before. You've had a moment where your emotions and the way that you feel are so strong that you feel it, feel it in, inwardly, physically. You ever said, I've got butterflies in my stomach, right? What does that mean? It means your feelings are causing a physical reaction. It's just the way that we're made up. We're not, we're not just mental. We're not just emotional. We're not just physical. We're not just spiritual. I mean, God has designed us in a way that we're all of these things. And so feelings can often represent themselves physically. And so Jesus looks upon the multitudes and has such compassion for them that there is a physical reaction inside of him because of his care for them. Now, here's why he had concern. The Bible says because the crowds were lost and helpless, they were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus came to minister, not just because he was being obedient to the father, but because he had compassion and love for wayward sinners. Now think about this, and and this is important for us, because if we only make it about duty, we quit caring about people. And we're guilty of this, are we not? That we can get in a very systematic, robotic way of doing things in the life of the church. And we can develop such a routine with how we do things that here's what we forget. That really on the other end of this proclamation of the gospel, it's not just about obedience. That's part of it. Don't, Don't hear me say that it's not. And part of the reason that Jesus came to this earth, the Bible tells us, was to submit to the will of the Father and give himself for sinful mankind. But that's not the only reason that he came. His heart was moved towards sinners. And as he looked at this wayward, rebellious, sinful group of people, he was not disgusted with them. He was not frustrated with them. He was not hostile toward them. But instead, he was moved with compassion for them. Now, why is that important? When was the last time you looked at a lost person and had compassion for them? And I want you to think about that because that's, that's a hard question to answer. When was the last time you looked at a group of people in the world today who are marching to the beat of a sinful drum And you didn't just have anger toward them, but instead you were moved with true, genuine compassion for them. It's a hard question to answer, isn't it? Because sometimes we can piously set from our glass houses and we can see the sins of people and it causes us to be frustrated with people and hateful toward people and even sadly hostile toward people And guess what we failed to do is see them in the sinful situation that they are, that they are helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You want to know what that means? It means you forgot you used to be there too. That's the hard part, right? 
Because we have a hard time seeing ourselves in that situation. We have a hard time putting ourselves back in that moment when we were away from Christ, when we were far from Him. And you might say, yeah, but I never lived like that. That's not the point. You lived as a sinner, and you were just as much separated from God as they were. Matter of fact, for some of us, we have less of an excuse. Why? Because we were raised in church. We were raised hearing the truth. Some of these people have never even really heard what the gospel is, what the Bible says. So guess what that means? We should be held even to a stricter judgment because of what we knew, yet we chose to be rebellious against the Lord. And if we're truly going to minister the way that God has called us to minister, it's going to be when we have the heart of Christ and we feel toward people the way that Jesus felt toward people. I think that's missing in a lot of us. I think it's missing in me sometimes. I think it's missing in me sometimes that, that every day, throughout the day, I walk around with people who are lost and they're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I think it's real easy for me to get focused on what they do or they don't do or the heinousness of what I, I, I see their actions as being and fail to not see that that is a soul in need of a Savior that God loves that He sent His Son Jesus to die for. And I think we've got to move as a church from being robotic, duty-oriented, faithful Christians to compassionate, caring with the heart of Christ and serving and ministering to people because we see them the way that Jesus sees them. You know, I can't help but wonder, as Matthew writes that in Matthew chapter 9, if he isn't seeing Jesus move with compassion toward these lost people and has to say, that's how Jesus felt toward me. Remember Matthew's story, right? He's a tax collector. He's a sinner. He, he, he's the, the, the dreg of Jewish culture and society. And Jesus sees him there by his tax booth and says, come follow me, right? And I have to think that Matthew has heard, seen Jesus. There's something about this calling of Jesus that's the same in every one of our calling, that the Spirit of God is working in us, and there's a conviction that's taking place. And all of a sudden, we feel ourselves drawn unexplainably sometimes to this message of the gospel. And Matthew is now putting it together as he's with his own eyes watching Jesus moved with compassion for the crowd and says, wait, that's how he felt toward me. That's how Jesus looked at me. When I was helpless and hopeless and no one else in all of Jewish culture would have ever made time for me, Jesus called me out to him. Now, can I just remind us again? That's every testimony in the room. You were unattractive. You were lost. You were broken. You were sinful. You were wayward. You were prodigal. And in great grace, God looked upon us with great compassion and said, come to me. And by His grace, we responded. And church, here's one of the things that I need to understand as well as you need to understand. We will never be effective in ministry the way the Lord wants us to be effective in ministry until we truly care about the people we're called to minister to. And we're not just a bunch of salesmen sent out on duty sales calls, just calling up, reading our little thing and being done. But we're sent out into a lost world of people whom God calls us to have compassion for, just like He had compassion on us. 
Now, the third thing I think we need to be reminded of from this passage, if we're to be effective in ministry, is there's got to be urgency. Look at what he says. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Look at verse 4. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Look at this. Don't greet anyone along the road. It almost seems that Jesus is telling them to be like uncaring, inhospitable. Now, now the reason I think Jesus is pointing this out is in Jewish culture, greetings on the side of the road could be very lengthy. There would be a lot of sitting and a lot of talking. So it wasn't just like a, hey, how you doing and keep on moving, but it could result in a lot of pleasantry that took a lot of time. And Jesus is saying, listen, what I'm sending you to do is very urgent. I'm sending you ahead of me so you don't have time for pleasantry. You don't have time to get lost in all the things that are going on around you. You've got a place to be and you've got to get there. Why? Because time is short. The ministry is important. There's no time for getting sidetracked. Now I think about that, right? Because I'm ADD, so like I'm easily sidetracked. I mean, my wife will tell you that my attention spans about five and a half seconds on a good day. And, and I can just like easily get sidetracked. And I've had to learn to deal with that. So like every now and then, uh, not every now and then, every week, every day, I have to get up from my office in the middle of study and just go walk around. Like some of you can study for hours at a time and just keep focused. Like that is not me. I'm lucky if I get a good 30 minutes in, then I've got to get up. Why? Because as I walk and move, I can somehow remember that stuff. And, and, and it just kind of causes me to keep my attention, not, not lose my attention. This is going to drive some of you crazy. But like I've got five books going at any one time. And like, you can go to my office right now and you'll see a, a plethora of books with bookmarks in them. And you're like, are you really reading all those? And the answer is, yeah. Because I lose my attention real quick and I'm able to go from one and back to the other. I wish I'd have learned this in high school and in college because I would have been a lot better student. But like, it took me a long time to develop and just figure out that how you want my mind to work will never work that way. It just won't. And, and so I've had to learn to deal with it, right? And so, so I get sidetracked very easily. I, I have a very short attention span. And I think most of us as believers operate this way, that we know we're sent out on a mission to do something and we quickly get distracted along the way. It wasn't that we didn't start out with good intentions. It's just like we easily allow the cares of the world to get in the way. And so I'm not saying that when you go to the, the Super Summer or Falls Creek or Men's Retreat or Women's Retreat and you feel this conviction of God saying, yeah, I need to do that, that, that you didn't honestly feel conviction. I'm not going to tell you that you didn't leave with the intention of trying to do that. What I will tell you, though, is how easily distracted we are that normally it's not very long before we failed to do the very thing that we said we were going to do. We just get distracted along the way. Why? Because I think we fail often to see the urgency of what we've been called to do. Not all of us are going to get 67 years of marriage. Why? Because not to be morbid, a lot of us aren't going to live that long. You're like, well, that's, that's terrible to think about. You're going to die. It's going to happen. Glad you came to church this morning so I could share that with you. I mean, one of these days, you will be the topic of Memorial Day. It's just a reality. It's just going to happen. Why? Because it's just, that's how quickly life comes and goes. 
And I do think there's something to being said about living with a little bit of urgency. Now, I don't just get that from that verse, by the way. Go back down to verse 2. The harvest is abundant. We know that. The workers are few. Now, I think for most of us, we've looked at this verse and said, hey, all right, so what that verse is telling us is there's a bountiful harvest out there and we need to go get work bringing it in. And I don't think that that's not true. I'm not convinced that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. And here's why. If you look in the Old Testament, in the book of Joel, and there's some other references, but but Joel specifically, if you look in Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus talks about the harvest, when you look ahead to Revelation chapter 14, and there's a mention of harvest, it seems to be the pattern of the Bible talking about harvest is not just saying, go out there and bring them in. It's talking about judgment. I mean, that that seems to be the theme. And and I encourage you to go look. And I I saw this as John MacArthur pointed it out in some of his writings. And I thought, well, that's very interesting It's different than how I've probably always necessarily perceived this to be. But the overall theme, more times than not, when the Bible is talking about a harvest, it's talking about coming judgment. And so then you look in Matthew chapter 13, and Jesus tells this parable. We're probably somewhat familiar with it. It's the parable of the wheat and tares. And so so we're still aggregarian enough in Oklahoma that, that you know somebody or you've seen a farm, right? I mean, I'm a rural boy. I grew up, grew up rural. I mean, matter of fact, outside of Moore, every place that I've lived has been rural or, or semi-rural. And here's the beauty of living, living in Moore. I live far enough outside of town that there's, I drive by a goat on the way home. The guy's got llamas. I don't know why he's got llamas, but he does. There's like a couple of llamas out there. He's like Johnny Depp Jr., alpacas, llamas, all that kind of stuff going on out there. But, but so, so I think most of us understand the idea of like, like wheat field, right? Uh, now, Jesus tells this parable that there was a farmer who went out and he sowed the wheat, put the seed down. Now, while he was sleeping, his enemy came, unbeknownst to him, and sowed a bunch of seed in there too. Well, they don't know it at first, right? It begins to grow and it all looks the same. But over a period of time, as it begins to grow and develop, all of a sudden, his workers come in and they say, oh, we got a problem. There's weeds out in the middle of our wheat field. And they say, so we're going to go and we're going to dig them all up. And the farmer says, no, no, don't do that. Because if you dig them up right now, there's a real chance that you're going to pull up some of the good seed. We're going to let it grow. And then when harvest times come and it's grown fully, we're going to separate the two. Now, what's interesting in the parable of the wheat and tares is early on in the growth, it's even hard to decide the difference between the two. But as it reaches fruition, now all of a sudden you're able to see the difference. And he says, so here's what we're going to do. Once it grows up, we're going to go out and gather all of the bad seed and we're going to take it and burn it. And then we'll harvest the good seed and we'll take it back to the barn. His disciples didn't really understand it. So a little bit later in the chapter, he says, well, let me explain to you. The good seed are my people. But the evil ones come and sown seed in my field and they're not mine. They belong to him. And we're going to wait to the end at the time of judgment and we're going to sort between the two and the bad seed, the tares, they're going to be burned up, but the good seed is going to be gathered to the barn, right? So so harvest is in reference to judgment. If you go ahead to Revelation chapter 14, it talks about the time of coming when when the angels are going to bring in this harvest and and, and the grapes of wrath, right? They're going to be pressed, the wine press, and, and they're going to be destroyed. And it's a very scary picture, to be honest with you, but the whole picture is... There's a day and time of judgment coming. The harvest is plentiful. What's that mean? There's going to be a lot that experience judgment, right? Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to righteousness. 
And what's our job? We're to be sent out into the harvest to proclaim the reality of judgment, but the hope that exists for those who trust in Jesus by repenting of their sin and believing in Him. Why is it urgent? Because we don't know when the end is going to come. We just know it's coming. That's why it's urgent. Like we don't know when the end for people is going to come. We don't know when the end of time is going to come, right? We, we can look and the Bible says there's signs and there's seasons. And all throughout history we've said this, right? It's coming soon, it's coming soon. Why? Because the Bible seems to lend to this idea that it's coming soon. And so, so, we, so we live with this sense of urgency. And why was it that the disciples, the apostles, the early church was so committed to even giving their life? Why? There was an urgency by which they believed Jesus could be returning any moment. And we need to proclaim as much as we can the urgency of repenting from our sin and turning to Jesus, lest you be judged eternally. Let me just tell you, that, that, that's not a popular message in the world today. We're going to look at it a little bit more in detail next week as we look at some of the other things that Jesus is saying here, referencing Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon. But what, what I want us to see is this. We've got to be more urgent. I think we've slowly been lulled into apathy and laziness. Because we just think, oh, that'll take care of itself. Where the Bible's made it very clear here. what We're to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Why? There's just, there's just not enough. Not enough to go. Now here's the final thing that I want us to see. Verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. He repeats it again in verse 11. The kingdom of God has come near you. Ministry is always about pointing people to Jesus. We've hijacked the word ministry. I do know the Bible tells us that even if you give a cup of cold water in my name, that's important. Don't hear me say that it's not. But what's the importance of all of that stuff? It's leading you a point to prepare the way for the Lord. We've hijacked ministry. Why? Because we want to make it sometimes about anything but preparing the way for Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to ruffle any feathers, but you want to know something? We can give out backpacks all day long, but that doesn't make it ministry. You want to know how I know? Because there's lots of entities in the world that give out backpacks. We can give out free food all day long, but let me tell you something, that doesn't mean it's ministry. Why? Because there's people all over the planet that give out free food all the time. Close. We can go down the list, right? There's a plethora of things that we can do. And let me just tell you this. There are entities all over the place. Lions Club, uh, Kiwanis, you name it, that are doing the very same thing. That doesn't make it ministry. What makes it ministry is all of those things are leading us to the point where we prepare the way for the Lord. And if we don't proclaim Jesus and prepare the way for the Lord, let me tell you this. We didn't minister. Now, that hurts our feelings a little bit. But sometimes we like to do everything but what we're supposed to do so we can feel good about what we're doing without doing what we're supposed to be doing. At the end of the day, here's what I know as a parent. I don't care how many things my kids did. If they didn't do what their mom and dad told them to, they're disobedient and they're in trouble. I've got a little girl by the name of Adeline. And she's special. On a thousand levels. 
she is very convincing. Like, like, like her mom and I can tell her to do something and she'll, she'll have a lot of other things she wants to do. And we'll say, but did you? No, but. And she'll quickly go off on another tangent of all the things that she did with a smile on her face. And, and she's, she's good at it because she's cute. But inevitably, her mom and I come back to the point, but did you do what we said? And if the answer's no, guess what? That's not okay. Because we didn't send her to do all the other things. And it's the same way with the Lord, right? When He gives us something to do, we might say, but look, we did a lot of other good things. And Jesus might very well look at some of us and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. And then others of us, he might look and say, well, that's great, but that's not what I asked you to do. Are we preparing the way for the Lord? This harkens back to the prophets of old. It harkens back to John the Baptist, right? What was his message? Prepare the way. And in a very real thing, what Jesus is coming back, judgment is a reality, and we're sent ahead to prepare the way of the Lord in people's hearts. Are we going to do that? I want you to bow your heads with me. Ministry 101. Simple, but it's not easy. Because something inside of me always tends to not want to do the very thing that I know that I should be doing. Just got to be honest with you this week as I prepared for this message. I felt as much conviction as I hope some of us are feeling right now. Because I thought to myself, do I remember that this is the Lord's ministry? And if things are going to change, it's going to be because of Him. And if lives are going to be different, is it going to be because of Him? And do I understand the importance? And you know what? For a guy that's been doing this for a lot of years and who the reality is, this is my livelihood, that sometimes I can get jaded to the fact, well, this is my job. It's not my job. It's my privilege. It's my ministry for the Lord. I had to ask myself, what kind of heart do I have? How do I see the world in which I live? Am I indifferent toward it? Am I cynical and jaded toward it? Am I angry and hostile toward it? Or do I look at the world in which I've been placed and do I have genuine compassion, especially for people who don't think, look, or act like I think they should? I had to ask myself, like, how urgent am I? And I don't think urgency means we just run off like madmen doing everything that we think. Because remember, it's the Lord's ministry. He calls us. He sends us. He prepares the way. All of those things. But I need to be active and remember, like, I, I don't know how long I have or people have. And so am I really spending my life and my time doing what's the most important? I have to ask myself, in everything that am I doing, am I preparing the way of the Lord? Because here's the thing, if everybody around me says, man, that's a nice guy, and he served his church really well, but I didn't do an adequate job preparing the way for the Lord, I failed. 
And so I'm not here to question intent and motive this morning. I don't know where you're at on that, and the Lord will help you figure it out. I'm more challenging us to think through our action steps. Because we can be sincere all day long and be sincerely wrong. What I'm asking us to think about is our commitment to truly being sent out and ministered by the Lord. And would He look upon what you and I do individually but collectively as a body and say, yeah, that's ministry. Or would He say, man, you guys have done a lot of things, just nothing I asked you to do. And so I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer and this altar is open for us to think through again individually and collectively as a body. What does ministry look like? Am I being faithful? Am I compassionate? Am I dependent on Him? If this morning you realize that you need a Savior in Jesus Christ and He came for you, let me tell you, we have people who would love to pray with you and visit with you about that. If there's other spiritual needs going on that God's addressing, whether it's up front or up back, we got people that are there. If you want to make sure you connect with us on a connection card, we're going to follow up with that as well. But let's just respond during this time as the Lord leads. Father in heaven, would you move and work? God, may we be found faithful. We love you. We thank you for Jesus who gave himself for us. And Father, we pray today that we would serve him with our whole life. Show us what we need to do today, Lord, and may we be faithful to do it. It's in his name we pray. Amen.